On this episode of the ElfQuest Show podcast, the premiere issue of the new series, Stargazer's Hunt. Welcome to the ElfQuest Show, the internet's only fan-made podcast series dedicated to the award-winning epic fantasy series ElfQuest, created by Wendy and Richard Peeney. My name is David Mizajewski, also known as my elf self Thornbreak, and I've been an ElfQuest fan for over 30 years. So join me as we explore the adventures of the Wolf Riders and all of their allies and enemies on the world of Two Moons and beyond. I am so excited to be back to talk about the brand new ElfQuest series, Stargazer's Hunt. If you thought that Final Quest was the absolute end of ElfQuest, well, I hope that you're in for a pleasant surprise because while the Final Quest was the final journey for the star of the series for the first 40 years, Cutter, it is not the end of ElfQuest, as the launch of this new series happily proves. So we're going to be talking all about the events of Stargazer's Hunt, issue number one today. But before that, I want to just cover a little bit of ElfQuest news. So obviously the big news is that the premiere issue of of Stargazer's Hunt came out in November. And that's out there, available now. You can get it at your local comic shop. You can get it digitally, however you prefer. But there's also the latest edition of the Complete ElfQuest Omnibus series put out by Dark Horse Comics. That is volume six. And this book collects the full circle story, the searcher of the sword, the discovery, and a few other really important stories in the ElfQuest canon. So you definitely want to pick that up. And then coming in February is the seventh volume, which is going to collect the entirety of Final Quest into one big giant omnibus book. Currently, you can get it in four separate, smaller graphic novels published in full color, just like the original comics were. The Complete ElfQuest Volume 7 is going to collect it in black and white, which is what the majority of that series is all about, trying to make big, affordable collections for fans all over. So definitely, you want to check that out. And that leads me to something else I wanted to just go over for everybody, because there seems to be a little bit of confusion over release dates. So when a new book comes out, the direct comics market gets a little bit of a leg up on giant retailers like Amazon or Barnes & Noble. And so when Dark Horse lists the release date of a a book or a comic, that's when it's going to be available in their digital platforms and also in comic shops. Now, as a courtesy, again, to those smaller retailers, the the big retailers have a two-week delay before they start carrying the books. And so I know sometimes that gets confusing because the book is out and some people have it and other people are like, wait, the book isn't out for two weeks. So I just wanted to to review that. So for example, volume seven of the complete ElfQuest, again, this is the omnibus graphic novel that is going to collect all of Final Quest, is actually listed to be out on February 12th in 2020. Um, However, it's not going to be available until March 10th via Amazon, for example. So you just want to factor that in. And um, if you go to Things from Another World, 
That's tfaw.com, T-F-A-W.com. This is Dark Horse Comics online retailer, and they also sell lots of other comics as well. Um, they typically will have the book available on that initial release date as well. For Barnes & Noble and barnesandnoble.com and, and Amazon and probably bigger bookstores like that, you're going to have to wait a few more weeks, whether to buy it online or to go into the actual physical store in the case of like a Barnes & Noble. So just you know, plan accordingly so you can get your ElfQuest as quickly as possible after its release. And then the last thing, I just wanted to also quickly go over all the different ways that you can get ElfQuest. And I've alluded to a few of them already. But, um, you know, not everybody knows where all the different great outlets are that are carrying ElfQuest. So I thought it would be kind of helpful to just do, you know, a little quick overview. So the first and most obvious is go to your local comic shop. Comic retailers are still out there. They are still carrying individual ElfQuest comics. They're still carrying the latest graphic novels from Dark Horse. So um, if you're into shopping local, this is a, probably the best way to go. Patronize your local comic shop. But you can also get all ElfQuest books nowadays digitally. And I know that's not everybody's cup of tea. I'm a huge fan of it. Um, I love having a physical book in my hand and I do buy the hard copies, but there's no nothing like being able to instantaneously download and be able to read and peruse the minute that the book becomes available in a digital edition. And so there's a few different places where you can get digital editions. So the, the first and again obvious one is Dark Horse. They have their own digital platform. It's digital.darkhorse.com. But ElfQuest is also available via Comixology. So the Dark Horse, digital Dark Horse is only carrying Dark Horse comics. Comixology is much bigger. It's basically a massive online comics retailer where you can get almost all titles. And in the last couple of years, they've begun carrying Dark Horse books. So now you can get all of your ElfQuest via Comixology. And if you are a comics fan, you probably already have Comixology and are using it. So now you can get your ElfQuest there as well. Now, Comixology is owned by Amazon, which means that you can read your Comixology books via your Kindle. You can also buy them directly on your Kindle. So there's lots and lots of different ways that you can get digital editions of, of ElfQuest, both the comics and the graphic novel collections. And again, you can read them on Kindle. You can also read them on your Nook if you're a Barnes & Noble person. So lots and lots of different ways. And I'll say this, getting to see the, the artwork in a digital platform really allows you to zoom in. You can read it panel by panel. The online comics readers have a really cool auto progression. So it's almost like a, a, a semi-animated film if you're reading it that way. And so I highly recommend checking it out. Again, if for no other reason, then you can get it you know, seconds after it becomes available instead of waiting until you can get to the comic shop or to the bookstore. And it's pretty fantastic to have your entire ElfQuest collection with you in your pocket on your mobile device. I mean, it's pretty amazing if you think about it. Um, so you can go to your local comic shop, buy the hard copy editions of the comics and the books. You can get digital editions directly from Dark Horse, from Comixology. You can read them on your Kindle or your Nook. You can also actually go into a physical bookstore, which generally don't carry the individual comics, but they do carry the collected editions. So if you go again into a, a Barnes & Noble, for example, you can go to the graphic novel section and they should have the complete ElfQuest series and the Final Quest graphic novels um, all put out by Dark Horse Comics. They probably won't have out-of-print editions, but you can always get those from the the official ElfQuest store on eBay that, that Richard Peeney himself curates. So that's another place to check it out. And then lastly, um, I already mentioned TFA, Things from Another World. 
Um, again, you can go on there and you can order hard copies if you don't have a comic shop near you, if you don't have a bookstore near you and you want to get those physical copies. Tifa has an online ordering and they will mail you those physical copies of the book. So um, you can also do that on Amazon, but word on the street, and I've experienced this myself, the Amazon packing isn't always the best, um, whereas Tifa does a better job at packing the book. Occasionally, Amazon um, sometimes sends stuff out and they, it gets a little bit dinged up. I've had it happen to me. They, they'll replace it at no cost to you, but you know, for whatever that's worth, that's just a little bit of user experience. So with all of that said, hopefully you found all of that helpful. I want to dive into actually discussing Stargazer's Hunt issue number one. And I am more than thrilled to introduce my co-host for this episode, Tanya Scott Thomas. Now, I know Tanya via the ElfQuest fan group on Facebook. Um, we've been friends there for a long time, and we actually got to meet in person back at Baltimore Comic Con last year. And so I am thrilled that you're joining me today, Tanya. Hi. Hi, David. Um, I'm really excited to be here. I love the podcast. I've listened to just about every single one. And I'm just happy to join you in this discussion because it's very exciting. I'm super thrilled that you're here joining me because as most fans of the podcast know, my original co-host, Ryan Brown, who was also the actual creator of the whole concept, decided, you know, after we fulfilled our original goal of discussing each issue of the final quest, that he was going to move on to other things. And I don't blame him at all. It's actually a pretty big time commitment to be able to do this. And so we did it for a few years. And, you know, Ryan's still reading ElfQuest and um, just, you know, spending his time in other ways. So the fact that you could join me, Tanya, is pretty amazing because it would be pretty tough for me to do this by myself. I'm sure I could talk for hours and hours about whatever ElfQuest topic we're talking about, but it's much more fun and I feel probably much more listenable to have a conversation with another fan. So I really appreciate you taking the time out today to, to join me for this. So before we hit the issue, um, tell us a little bit about yourself. How did you discover ElfQuest? How long have you been reading? You know, what's some of your favorite things about it? Okay, so I... Started, I was introduced to ElfQuest by a friend of mine when I was in high school in ninth grade, Allison. Hey, Allison! So we were just hanging out and I noticed these books that she had on her bookshelf and they were the Starblaze Donning uh, graphic novels and I just started reading the first one and I was just completely drawn in and it's just I've been reading it ever since. So since I was about 15, so it's been about 30 years. And I had a little gap when I was in college after Kings of the Broken Wheel ended, where it was just, you know, kind of hard to keep up when, you know, you're in school and things like that. But then I found out that it was still going on. And then I ran all over Manhattan trying to grab up the readers collections and catch up. And I've been caught up ever since. So I, I just love ElfQuest. It's one thing now that I'm a, you know, a wife and a mom that it's something that's just for me. Um, so I think everybody needs that to have things, you know, you can share a lot with your partner and your children and things like that. But to have something that's just yours, that's like part of your identity, I think is really important for for just your life balance. So I love that's that. what ElfQuest has been for me. And now that I'm older and just more settled in my life, I can dive into it whenever I need to or when I want to. I can collect all that I want to collect. So it's just that's like my little thing. And I've kind of spread it all over my house. My <laughs> twins have an ElfQuest dream room 
I love that. Well, that's what I was going to say is as much as ElfQuest is your thing from the, the, the photos uh, that you've shared in the ElfQuest fan group, I know that you are roping the rest of your family or at least your kids into ElfQuest. Even if they don't know what it is, they have amazing fashion sense with all of their awesome ElfQuest t-shirts and the decor in your house from, from the ElfQuest Redbubble shop and everything. So I totally love that. Thanks. Yeah. So I try to, you know, tame it a little bit. So there, I didn't go all out with the duvet covers and everything, which I totally could have, but for their rooms, but, you know, I had a lot of prints. I'm lucky to have been able to collect over all these years and they had the wall space. They needed a theme. So I figured why not? And they love it. And I've read up through hidden years with the uh, little guys with my twins and and one of them is really into it. The other one, he's, you know, he tolerates it. He's okay with it. So, and that's fine. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So that is, that's me. That's my ElfQuest story. Well, again, thanks so much for, for joining me today. So let's talk Stargazer's Hunt issue number one. So I think I'd like to start just by talking in the big picture. And one of the biggest things in that big picture about Stargazer's Hunt is that this is a series that isn't being drawn solely by Wendy. Sonny Strait, who was the colorist on The Final Quest and who has actually illustrated a few different ElfQuest stories over the years, has taken on the, the major art role for Stargazer's Hunt. And, you know, he's working from Wendy's page layouts, which she has shared on social media that the final product is she'd average, you know, roughly 20% her, 80% Sonny. And so Sonny's artwork really is, um, is, is, is what we're looking at for the most part when we're reading Stargazer's Hunt. And so like any other artist that has worked on, on ElfQuest, at least this is my perspective, is I don't expect them to be an exact replica of Wendy's art. And Sonny's art is not. It's, it's you know, there's some significant differences there, even though he does capture a lot of the spirit and in some elements, in some ways, the, the style of Wendy too. And so I'm curious what your thoughts on that are. Yeah, I mean, I think I like, I think Sonny said it was sort of a marriage between their two styles, and I I can definitely see that. I think out of all the other artists that have drawn ElfQuest, I like Sonny's style the best. So I was happy that he was the one they chose to continue on. And I, I kind of like his style. It's it's very approachable. I think it's it's a little cartoony and playful. Yeah, for uh, sure. Which is nice. And I can still kind of see the elements of, of Wendy's style kind of underneath of it. And I'm interested to see how it evolves like over the series, because this was just the first issue. And I think as you keep doing it, it's it's going to change and and grow. So I'm I'm kind of excited to see how it all turns out and I can't draw at all so <laughs> I think it's really interesting yeah. the way that they've been working together over all these years and you know how one informs the other in that way so yeah no you hit on the two things that I I was going to mention number one is the the thing about Sonny's art is that it really does have a really strong cartooning aesthetic and I don't mean cartoon in any kind of derogatory way, which it sometimes get, gets used as, um, you know, cartooning is a is a, an art form in and of itself. And Wendy herself oftentimes describes herself as a cartoonist and, and, and her art style as you know, having elements of that in there. And so, yeah, Sonny's art is very, uh, I, I, I would say it's 
a lot looser than Wendy's style in the sense of just how the figures are drawn. And again, they have a little bit more of a of that cartoon aesthetic to them, which is present in Wendy's art as well. And his art, though, has this kind of dynamic quality to it. And I don't really know how better to describe it, but every one of Sonny's lines is just filled with motion and, and action and and energy. And I think that is just like super, super exciting. And the other thing you, you just hit on was the evolution of the art, right? So this is just the first issue. And and I think it's pretty fantastic. And so I'm I'm I too am really excited to see how this collaboration between Wendy and Sonny is gonna evolve over the eight issues that is gonna make up Stargazer's Hunt. And actual actually one sidebar. Um, for those that might not have heard the news, the original solicitations for Stargazer's Hunt said that it was only going to be six issues. That was actually um, not correct. And the the actual run is going to be eight issues. So just for everybody's awareness, in case you're still seeing the six issue thing, it's going to be eight issues. But, um, you know, Wendy's art herself evolves over the course of not only her decades-long career. I mean, if you go back and look at the original art that Wendy did on ElfQuest, comparing it to today's art, there's major differences. But even within stories, like if you go back and read the Discovery and then the Final Quest and look at a character like Salt, the Wave Dancer. I was noticing this the other day. And just the look and feel of that character has evolved over the course of those those two storylines. Um, Free Touch, Chitter, you know, she was introduced as an adult in, in the Final Quest special, the very first issue. And her look, and I don't just mean her outfit, her look has slightly evolved as well. Her hairstyle... And um, and so anyway, I think that that evolution is, is a kind of a natural thing when you're doing a, a series like this. So I, yeah, I'm really curious to see how Sonny's depiction of the elves in the world of ElfQuest evolves as he is doing this as, as the major artist on a series for which, you know, for the first time. Yeah, definitely. So something else that I really loved about this issue was the way that Sonny and Wendy were able to depict the star home, which we're going to talk all about, but... You know, at this kind of artistic level, the elves are, are are back on the star home. They're on their planet of origin. And I at least got this really, really visceral sense from the artwork that this was an alien place. You know, this is not the world of two moons. It is this other plane of existence almost. You know, I mean, the, the, the what I gather from what Wendy and Richard have shared about the star home and now the look and feel of it is that I think... The star home is really kind of as close as possible to a physical iteration of what our concept of like heaven is or paradise or whatever word you choose, that it's kind of this mystical place that has different, um, you know, well, to use Wendy and Richard's term, it has a different hum, right? So it's operating at this other level that you can really tell by looking at the art, you know, whether it's palace city and, you know, the idea of the elves living in a city, I find incredibly intriguing but you know the look and feel of that and even the look of the the woodland that strongbow is living in just look totally different than the world of two moons yeah i mean the light of it all seems very different like there's a different type of sunlight and things are there's a lot of these cooler purpley pinky colors and even the greens seem different to me i don't know exactly how they achieve that but it it does seem very foreign and alien and like the way that some of the vines are shaped 
are different than what you would see, I guess, on, you know, the world of two moons or our planet. So definitely, I definitely am digging the purples. I love purple. So I'm happy to see all of that, like very, I don't know, like unicorny kind of colors scheme. Sure. It's, yeah. Well, it's I, given me a lot of magical feelings. Yeah, that's exactly what what my my vibe on it is as well. And yeah, I mean, if you flip through the first, you know, four or five pages, it's all in that sort of ethereal otherworldly purples and pinks and yeah it's pretty fascinating and again i'm really excited to see how all of this kind of evolves i want to see more of the star home even if it's just in sort of background glimpses i think in in the last episode of the podcast when i interviewed wendy and richard and tried to pick their brain a little bit to get some teasers about what stargazers hunt would be all about one of them said something about, I think it was Wendy said that, you know, you're going to see the star home, but you're not going to get a room to room tour of of the palace city <laughs> and that kind of thing. And I'm totally cool with that. I mean, I think that that wouldn't make for a very good story, but just the little glimpses that we get with, again, all those purple colors and those, those um, I don't know what the right adjective is to describe the greens, but I agree with you. There's something... Um, again, just sort of otherworldly about about the colors here. And it all kind of contributes to this feeling that visually that we're just in a different place. Yeah. And what a clever way to kind of show us this this new world, this new planet by looking for something that's lost. I mean, I just I just love that just as an introduction. I just yeah. thought that was so cute and it's just like so simple and it just works so well to like, oh, I lost this thing. So you're just going to follow these two as they hunt around looking for her lost pod. And right. I just thought that was so great. I completely agree. I mean, what a brilliant way for a first issue of a series to essentially introduce new readers or refresh the memory of old readers maybe that aren't, aren't as obsessive as you and me um, about reading every single issue and, and a million times but and they just built it right into the narrative of the issue it's the whole the whole premise that this issue is kind of hung on or the the framework i suppose you could say is a better word is that jink lost her palace pod and she and skywise are hunting for it and so they get to go to all of these different places and visit with all the the characters that i'm assuming are going to play a role in the bigger story as it all unfolds and i you know that's just sort of storytelling genius and we're talking about wendy and richard here so we should not be surprised they are the masters they are the masters so the other neat thing about all of this is while they're doing that and we are getting this sort of glimpse of the star home sunny has packed so much into every panel and there's so much going on in the background and it's if you haven't already gone through and reread the issue and really paid attention to the background, everyone out there listening, I highly recommend you do it because there's all sorts of fun, neat little glimpses and goodies. Everything from seeing, just seeing old favorite characters in the backgrounds to life on the star home, you know, the elves in the hot tub and and just stuff (laughs) like that. So I don't know. I don't know if you have done that or you picked up on any of that, but, or if there was a favorite kind of glimpse that you got when you were reading. Oh yeah, for sure. When um, Sava and Sunstream and there's another elf with her back to us like they're just kind of I don't know if they're commuting or raising their hums or waving to them as Skywise and Jink fly by but I loved that little piece and I loved the trolls tunnel oh yeah the cavern there's a lot going on there and then there's just other people just kind of floating by just you know everybody floats there walking yeah. is is over so <laughs> I, I just thought that was neat 
Yeah. Well, you know, it, it, that's one of the things that I think is so different. I mean, that adds to this different feel of this series. Things are different now. They are not in Kansas anymore. They're they're in this, again, this sort of paradise place, and they all have the full potential of their their heritage, of their powers. And so, you know, they're all floating around. It's a little bit weird to see Skywise gliding, isn't it? Yeah, I love this. There's a picture where he's kind of suspended and his hair is all flowing up and he's, you know, asking Jink, like, did you even, is it even a pod anymore? Like, what are you doing? And she's like suspended midair in like this classic toddler pout <laughs> position. It's just, that's like one of my favorite little pieces just from this, from this issue. It just looks so cool. He looks so comfortable doing it. Yep. And it's like, wow, these guys have really had a lot of time to just, I mean, it didn't seem like a lot of time since the last, but I guess it's been maybe five years or so or however long. Yeah, it has to be roughly. Yeah, they're just so comfortable in this new environment and this new lifestyle. It's, it's just, it's really interesting. Yeah, no, I am. I, I'm I'm trying to wrap my mind around it, and I kind of the, the best way that I think I can describe what I'm perceiving in this issue about that about sort of how the new high ones are living their life on the star home is like maybe being on the world of two moons in many ways, or at least for for these elves who chose to leave it, was kind of like being underwater, having to breathe through scuba gear. And then finally being able to emerge out onto land and shed all of that, that weight and, and, and be able to kind of exist freely on land versus underwater as an oxygen breather. That's kind of the sense that I'm getting from the new high ones is that now that they're on the star home and they don't have whatever quality about the world of two moons that kind of dampened their magic at least, at least initially, that they're kind of living at their full potential. And so they're, you know, we see Skywise floating around, but you know what I keep thinking about is... It wasn't weird to see the gliders floating around inside Blue Mountain. And so it's just because we're used to some of these characters and we so think of them as, as you know, grounded to the earth wolf riders. And at least in Skywise's case and the, the Sunfolk and all the other elves that left and are now what we know as the new high ones, you know, they've changed and they're living this whole different kind of life. And, um, and again, I think that's really well communicated, not only in the, the, the storytelling, but also the artwork. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The other little background detail that I utterly adore is you mentioned the, the troll caverns and having a lot going on in the background and there is, but my absolute favorite and in fact, one of my favorite things of this entire issue is when when Jink and Skywise first float down into the troll tunnels. In that very first panel, you see a group of trolls playing toss stone, gambling, uh, what have you. And there is a new mom breastfeeding her baby while she's flipping the stones out there. And I just think that is incredible, in part because what other comic book are you going to see that in? <laughs> right? <laughs> um, and and also too, you know, in in the past, trolls have been depicted as as pretty um, a society that was pretty divided between male and female, with the females kind of being not quite as equal as the males. And and over the course of the forty years that Elfquest has been being told, that has slowly evolved. Whether it's Old Maggoty or Queen Drub, all the way up to the trolls, also kind of returning to their homeland and being able to, I, I suppose, live to their full full potential as well. And so they're not quite as nasty seeming as they might have been back on the world of two moons. And I love that too, because the trolls are awesome and they really deserve to be viewed in a positive light. You know, just because you have green skin and you don't appeal 
necessarily to the, the the ideal form of beauty by a modern human aesthetic does not mean that you're bad or evil or not worthy of of being deemed an awesome character. And I feel like the trolls have come full circle as well. Oh yeah. I think they're um I don't know. They see there's like a friendliness that wasn't there before, like they say in the in the story that, you know, but they still hold on to that barter system, <laughs> the right. value system of, you know, you got to give me something to get something. So I thought that was that was neat. Like they're all friends now, but hey, if you want something, I still there still needs to be some kind of trade involved. Right. So. Well, trolls trolls are trolls after all, right? And so <laughs> they've not turned into you know into elves. So you gotta yeah <laughs> stay true to your roots, right? So going over all of this, there are some pretty incredible standout scenes. And I think a few that I wanted to mention were, were that, that really stood out to me as just being super, super powerful was the, the panel of what I call Strongbow kind of grieving for Moonshade when he's down on one knee and, and Moonshade's image is behind him. That was just completely heartbreakingly beautiful. I don't know. Did you have any standout panels? out of the whole issue? Uh, well, yeah. I mean, the first when uh, they're showing jink being born and they're just floating up in the sky and there's this little like net that the preservers have have crafted to catch this baby i thought that was it wasn't a huge panel but i just i kept coming back to it because first i've thought why would anybody want to give birth in the middle of the sky like that's <laughs> crazy i would never want to do that but then i thought i'm not an elf and then it reminded me of eyes high and dew shine and how they you know wanted to be closer to the stars closer to the sky because that was either what their babies loved or what they loved and then i was like oh i get it like that makes so much more sense like yeah so i had epiphany when i was thinking about it and looking at it and so um and that was one of the teaser pages too so i've had more time to kind of think about it you're absolutely right both eyes high who is skywise's mom and Dushine, when they were pregnant made comments about wanting to bring their their yet to be born infants closer to the sky and we know you know skywise was always drawn to the stars even you know even before he was born and windkin of course was drawn to the sky. And so I didn't even think about that, but what a great little full circle moment that Skywise and, and Tamane are, are, are doing that for Jink, just like Skywise's mom did for him, brought him up as high up into the, the sky as they could. And um, that's, that's really beautiful. Yeah. I'm also, I'm looking at the panel right now and I am doing what I love doing when I am looking at it digitally and I'm zooming in. And if you look right next to Tamane's head is a preserver with light blue, blue skin color, orangish wings and kind of a pink, pinkish hat. And not to get ahead of ourselves, but I just realized that that looks like potentially the same preserver that is sitting on Skywise's shoulder in the cover art of issue number two of Stargazer's Hunt. And so I don't know what that means or even if it's the same one, but I just thought I'd shout that out since I'm looking at it right now. Ooh. Yeah. Little teasers again. We're, well, we're, I mean, I guess what we're, we were just talking about, all the little goodies hidden in the background. So definitely go back and reread and, and look for all that stuff. One other panel that really stood out to me too was the panel where it's a it's a tight shot. It's, it's actually two panels where Jing is sensing Skywise's 
sadness over the loss of Cutter. And she puts her little hand up to his 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 forehead, and you know, Skywise has to say, you know, don't pry around too much in my head. There's you know, sadness there. And he's obviously being protective of her. But um, number one, it is just beautiful, and you can really see the Wendy piece of the artwork kind of shining through there, which is you know lovely to see as always. But it's just such a sweet moment. But if you've read the, the Jink and the Future Quest storyline, you know that it's a pretty dark piece of foreshadowing. And I might just leave it at that. If you haven't read the Jink series and then the, the Future Quest series after it, as well as the Rebels series, you really should should do that. Um, again, the art style is very, very cartoony, even more cartoony than Sunny's style is, at least for the Rebels. I loved it. The artist Delphin Barrel, or Burrell, I'm not sure how you pronounce his last name, also had that super dynamic high energy cartoon aesthetic to his art and it, it it just it worked really well in the rebel series but anyway i highly recommend folks checking that out um if you haven't already or giving it a revisit go back and give it another read because i think there's a lot of good in those stories and also obviously they're they're happening after the events of stargazers hunt at some point down the line and so now we're actually seeing jing in the main story stream of, of elf quest and not just kind of off in a secondary title so i would definitely give those good yeah, I mean, I resisted reading those for a while. I think I just finished them right before Stargazer's Hunt came out, actually. I just, I don't know, I just wasn't interested in the like beginning. I They're not about my core people. And so I just kind of resisted reading it. I wasn't ready to receive it. Here you go. Until <laughs> now. And I, I enjoyed it. I don't know why I like waited. I, I thought they were pretty good. I really liked the um, the Future Quest graphic novel that's on ElfQuest.com. I'm not sure where it is in print. I it, think I liked that the most out of all of the future stories with the Rebels and Jink. Right. Well, so for folks that might not be as familiar, I think it probably, even though we're, I want to get back to Stargazer's Hunt, take a little sidebar just to explain the Rebels was a comic series. It was published in individual comics. So was Jink. And these are two storylines happening in the future of the the universe of ElfQuest, mostly on the world of Two Moons, but but beyond as well. Those two titles, after they went through a couple of different story arcs, then ended up being combined in the ElfQuest anthology comic that was published in like the mid to late nineties. And when that com combined story was called Future Quest. Now, I don't believe the Future Quest storyline was ever collected into its own printed book, but they might be collected on the ElfQuest website now that you say that as a distinct quote unquote digital graphic novel. So if you go to ElfQuest.com and you click on read at the very top, you'll enter into the area where all the, the online comics are. And again, everything that was published up until the final quest is available for free. And I'm looking at it right now, and you are absolutely correct. Not only are the, the Jink and the Rebels comic series, there were 12 issues of each that, again, were collected into books published by Warp Graphics back then. But the future quest story that never was printed in a collection, it was only appearing in the the anthology comic in, in serial releases you know so every other issue or so there was another chapter of the future quest story that's all in there um, all collected as one so that's a really great place to go and, and check it out if you're not sure about it but I do think that um, it would be helpful because there's probably at least some connections to 
those those stories that have already been told that are going to kind of be referenced in Stargazer's Hunt. So um, definitely give it a, a, a shot. And, and taking it back to the issue, issue number one of Stargazer's Hunt, that scene between Skywise and Jink that I was mentioning, where she senses his sadness and puts her hand up to his head and he you know backs her off a little bit and says don't pry into my head too much that's definitely a foreshadowing of something that you're going to learn about if you read the jink comic series so definitely do that yeah give it a chance they're you know they're good they're good yeah good all right well let's talk about something else that i adore about ElfQuest in general but really loved about this issue and that is the character designs right so we are obviously in a new series and i think par for the course when a new ElfQuest series launches usually the characters get at least some of them a little bit of a wardrobe upgrade some of them change their hairstyles and um, you know this series is no different i mean we've talked a little bit about just the different aesthetic of, of someone like skywise because he's now in a high one form so right out of the gates you're getting uh, like a totally different look and feel about him. And so other characters, though, also have a new look and feel. Strongbow. He is looking very, what's the, how do they say it? You know, when those those guys, they've just been hurt and life has been hard, but you know, there's like the soft gooey stuff in the underneath all that. He looks like weathered, but still beautiful and tortured and just, you just love him. You just want to like fix him and help him out. Like, I don't know. I was getting all kinds of beautiful, hard guy kind of vibes from him. And I mean, his outfit outfit just looks like it looks like it's been kind of ripped and it's frayed like he doesn't care but I guess he cares like I'm not sure like (laughs) it's just really interesting there's just a lot to it there's a lot of texture to it and his face is a little more drawn I think and I'm not sure if that's like sunny style or but he he definitely looks more mature and very just seasoned yeah, well, I think ragged is a good word. Um, I, I kind of get a little bit of, at least from his look, and a little bit of, of what he says, which we'll talk about, but focusing on the look of like the ragged hermit type, you know, like the lone hunter. And I mean, he's out there living in the woods by himself. And even though, you know, Venka and Satrika and Skywas and Jink are visiting with him, you know, he's pretty much a, a, a loner. And I think that's a, just a fascinating thing for a character like Strongbow, who was always about the pack. And always about the wolf riders and but again i want to talk about strongbow later about the plot points but just from his look yeah i mean well number one the look if you're an astute reader you will recognize it from the Dreamtime story do you remember when in when he and and, and moonshade were sharing their dream with scott and Krim, and they had this sort of vision of themselves this sort of kind of new high one-ish vision of themselves in Dreamtime, and that's the outfit that he's wearing there was actually a callback to it in final quest and so really interesting to see that that's what he's wearing there. But but yeah, it definitely has that ragged, almost alluding to his his torn apart soul in a way. I don't know if that's intentional, but I, I definitely, when I see that outfit, it, it communicates to me that Strongbow is still kind of torn up. Yes, yes, definitely. So Jink and, and Satrika also have super adorable outfits. They're totally kind of girly. They're very frilly. But I love the fact that both of them are wearing pants and they're not in little skirts or dresses because clearly they are both very active, rambunctious little girls. And it just seems fitting that 
they would be um, wearing practical clothing and not, you know, sort of a Shirley Temple dress, even though both of their outfits, like I said, are kind of, they've got, you know, sparklies and pretties and frills and, and they're <laughs> kind of girly. They're also practical. And I love that. Yeah. I mean, if you're floating around, you can't have too much, you know, flowy stuff. It's going to get caught on all these beautiful spires and things <laughs> in the city. Right. We did see that Skywise as he's trying to keep up with Jink. You know, he gets his, his see-through shirt ripped by, I don't know if, it, I can't really tell from the panel if it's a bird or if it's a spire or if it's a branch or what, but but yeah, so I, I, I really liked their um, their outfits too. And I really like the color of Jinx too. It's pink, but it's like this muted earth tone pink. So I thought that was an interesting choice. I love the polka dots that you kind of see in the in the first couple pages. They sort of go away, but that's fine. Because polka dots are always, they always make me think of playful things and it's youthful and fun. Oh, yeah. I didn't notice that. Yeah. I I, I guess Uh I kind of interpreted those as kind of sparkles versus like polka dots on the actual fabric. Venka is interesting because she's wearing sort of new high one flowy garb, but I can't tell again, character design wise, if she is in a new high one form, if she's tall, because you never really see her on the same plane as Strongbow, who um, is not, he's still wolf rider size. And, and we know that because they talk about that. And Skywise himself shrinks himself back down into his wolf rider form when he's out there. But I can't tell about Venka. She's if she's high one form, or if she maybe herself has shrunk down or not. But um, I don't know. What do you think? Yeah, she still looks very kind of voluptuous and not so. I don't know what is the word like willowy. So yeah, and willowy as the um, the high one forms are for some of the characters. She she looks the same to me yeah. for the most part. That's what I thought uh, too. And actually, speaking of voluptuous, <laughs> I think. She's maybe a little bit more voluptuous than um, than we remember so. her, and I don't know if that is just you know one panel here and there, if that's Sunny style, or if that was if that's deliberate. But I always thought of Venka as kind of being slight of frame, um, you know, at least in the upper part of her her frame, and she's definitely not in this depiction of her. Yeah, so. you know, motherhood does a lot of things <laughs> to to our bodies. They you know will okay. never be the same. She looks beautiful. She does look like just happy, kind of the same. I mean, she's always seemed sort of stayed stable, not a lot of highs and lows, very kind of in the middle. Right. Although we did get to see her get fired up in Final Quest. Oh, yes. If you recall. Well, <laughs> if, well yeah. I mean, if you get shot, I think you're, you have the right to be quite angry. And yeah. that's it. Yeah, for sure. Um, so I mentioned, you know, Skywise shrinking down from his high one form into his former wolf rider form. As we were talking about earlier, this is very different from the elf quest that we've known and loved, right? And so if that's a challenge, it, I thought it was a really, really smart move on the part of Wendy and Richard and Sonny to to let us see Skywise in his old form so that we can relate to it. And also for new readers or or older fans that maybe haven't kept up, getting to see Skywise in his recognizable form was a really smart move. Now, whether or not he'll stay in that form for the rest of the series, or if he'll go back and forth, or if he'll become a high one aesthetic again, I don't know, we'll have to wait and see. But I thought that was that was really neat. And also a kind of a cute reason for it, because Strongbow is more comfortable with sort of the wolf rider size. And so Skyways kind of shrinks himself down. I thought that was cute. Oh, yeah. I mean, I like I like him shrunken down. I like his uh, wolf rider form. It's, you know, more what I'm used to. So I like him compact. But his, <laughs> his high one form is growing on me. It definitely... Um, it gives me a, like he's a more mature. He just has a, a 
more stable, matured kind of look to him as he's floating around and being a dad too, I think. Oh yeah. 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 Adds to, you know, his, his maturity and his growth. For sure. Yeah. I definitely want to talk about, about Skyways as a dad, but one last note about character design. You know, we see that, that Strongbow keeps Skywise's, you know, sort of old outfit or a new version of it, I'm, I'm assuming, you know, hidden in, in the trees in the in the woodland where he lives. And, and Skywise, yes, does have his, uh, uh, again, a new version of his of his metal face guard that he actually gave to Yun in, in the final quest as a memento when he left. And I didn't even notice it at first or kind of put two and two together that, oh, yeah, that is his old one. So, yeah, I mean, probably someone on the Star Home, one of the new high ones, is a metal shaper. Or maybe he bartered the trolls and had them make a new one for himself so that he could be, you know, be with that in the um, in his in his wolf rider form when he's on the the star home. Who knows? But yeah, so he's got his crystal one that Tamain gave him, and he's also got his metal one um, to go with his wolf rider leathers. So I just and wanted... why does he need a faceplate? Like I really I want to know like when that came about because you see the older. Um, in the older stories, like in um, in All But Blood, that he just had just kind of a headband. And at some point, he's like, I need to fortify to save this face or something. Like, <laughs> Who knows? But what did Skywise and Rafael say in, in Final Quest? She's taking it off of Skywise. And she's like, you know, I still don't know what this, this thing is for. I know, so, like, what is this for? Right. It's just to protect that moneymaker, like that, you know, <laughs> so, so Yeah, so you're not alone in wondering what the hell the face guard is for. But, you know, I always kind of thought it, it uh, as a little bit of armor, maybe face protection in a, in a dangerous world, but also to kind of keep his hair out of his eyes. But who knows? If nothing else, yeah. you know, since it's working, right, it's it, been working if we're talking about character design, it's it's wholly unique. I can't think of another character in comics or, or artwork or movies or whatever that has a similar look. So I think Wendy and Richard kind of nailed that as a unique thing to ElfQuest. Mm-hmm. Wow. All right. Well, obviously a lot of stuff happens in, in this first issue. And before we dive into some of those specific things about specific characters, like the actual plot of what happens... I thought it might be a little bit helpful to kind of recap what has gone before, particularly in Final Quest. I'm seeing a lot of questions and I think confusion on some of the, the story points that I think you kind of need to really have a understanding of if you're really going to know and appreciate what's going on in Stargazer's Haunt. So with that in mind, Final Quest happened and Cutter passed. Cutter died at the end of Final Quest. And so that is a huge major, obviously a huge major plot point in the entirety of ElfQuest. And, you know, really the 40 years leading up to Stargazer's Hunt was Wendy and Richard telling Cutter's hero's journey, which culminated in him living and dying the way that he wanted to on the world of two moons as a wolf rider. And so that's pretty critical because when we start talking about Skywise and what his quest is going to be in Stargazer's Hunt, it really has a lot to do with his loss of Cutter. The, the other really key critical piece that we learned in Final Quest was the connection between Cutter and the High One, Tamane. And essentially, they, they originated as one being. And Tamane's soul split itself, her spirit split itself, as she was languishing in wolf form in the, in the troll pits. And she basically, that, that part of her that split off was 
was Tam, was Cutter. And that makes them, you know, one one being, one soul with, with two bodies, with a high one body and with a wild wolf rider body. And so definitely go back and read and reread Final Quest because it's all explained there. Now, with that said, it's kind of hard to wrap your mind around. And I, and I ultimately came to the conclusion that that's actually okay. Because if you think about mythology, a lot of it doesn't make logical sense. You know, think about Greek mythology and all of the, the crazy things that the gods do that, you know, would never happen in the real world. And there's not like a scientific explanation for them. Or for that matter, you know, major religions, whether, you know, it's Christianity or, or something else. You know, there's a lot of stuff in those those mythologies and those religious stories that doesn't necessarily, you know, is not mathematical. And so that's that's how I kind of accept and can wrap my mind around this connection between Tamane and Cutter. And so the key piece that you have to understand going into Stargazer's Hunt is that Skywise never figured out that connection. Tamane revealed it to Cutter and he went mad as a result and ran off. And it took a while for him to really kind of come back to himself and accept this about himself. Lita sort of figured it out on her own by being open to it and not pressuring Cutter to tell her. And Skywise just kind of was oblivious to it all. He knew maybe something was was up, but he never really figured it out within Final Quest. And so, again, I just wanted to recap all of that because it seems to me like that is the foundation on which this entire new series is going to be built. So do you have anything to add to that, Tanya? Well, I think... We're we're kind of lucky with this new series with Stargazer's Hunt. And I'm hoping that it explains this maybe in another way that is gonna be more digestible for for us readers, because it is a super complicated concept. And I guess to see it through Skywise's eyes, he's he's a younger person and he's, you know, I guess not as aware um, as some of the other characters. So we're getting like another opportunity to understand this major concept through a different set of eyes, like through his experience. And I think that's really great because um, obviously a lot of fans don't understand or are trying to understand it. So this is like another way, another stab at it. And I just have to sort of tip my hat, I guess, to Wendy and Richard for even wanting to tackle something so complicated. I wouldn't trust anybody else to handle this type of story. And I'm I'm really intrigued to like see how he handles it because it was so shocking. If it's something that could stir Cutter to madness, I mean, just imagine what's going to do to Skywise. I mean, he's, yeah. he's just a baby, really. Right. And I think that is what the entire crux of what Stargazer's Hunt is going to be about. You know, if, if Final Quest was about Cutter dealing with this revelation about himself that brought him into the realm of, of of kind of like a demigod, if you will. You know, if you think of Tamane as as kind of a goddess or the iteration of what a goddess is in the world of ElfQuest, that makes Cutter kind of a demigod. And again, it's it's no different than I don't even know. Is Hercules? I think is is the son of Zeus, right? They're half mm-hmm. Zeus, half god, half half human, or whatever. I think that's the concept that that we're playing with here with Tamane and Cutter kind of being part of the same soul. And again, it's very mythological and it, it kind of transcends the, the normal rules of the universe. And I think, again, I really do think that's the best way to to kind of think of it. And if you think of it that way, it's you can let go of trying to nail it down. But to your point, 
yeah, I think it's going to be an exciting exploration to see how Skywise is reacting to it. Because again, if Final Quest was about Cutter's reaction, I think Stargazer's Hunt is going to be now about Skywise's reaction when he finally learns this pretty major thing about Cutter, as well as his his life mate to mate, both of whom he recognized separately. So so yeah, I think uh, that's really what this whole series is, is all going to be about. Mm-hmm. So one other thing that I wanted to touch on about what we saw in Final Quest as as it applies to Stargazer's Hunt is the Star Home. And this is another thing that I think fits into the bucket of it's not necessarily meant to follow the mathematical rules of the known universe. It's meant to be something in the realm of the mythic, right? So we already talked a little bit about the Star Home in its rebirth form, kind of being almost like on a different plane of existence, kind of like a, a paradise, kind of a, a heaven, if you will. And the reason I think it's that way is because the elves themselves, the new high ones who left the world of two moons in the palace and went back to the dead planet that was just basically a bare barren rock they used the energy from the palace and the and the genetic knowledge that existed within the palace and within their own bodies to literally breathe life back into that planet. And this is like creation myth level stuff. They literally created life or recreated life through their own magic, through their powers, through their ancestral knowledge, through all the information stored up in the palace and the scroll of colors to create an atmosphere and oceans and plants and animals and all of that stuff. And so, again, I've been seeing lots of questions from fans being like, oh, where did the animals come from? Well, the elves created them, right? I mean, they had to. That's what this is all about. And then that's why the star home is this ideal magical place that is at this you know this high hum and everything because the elves made it so and it's one of those again another kind of weird question like the elves made it so because they came from there originally so it's really this kind of full circle it's like their home influenced them to be what they are and then they went back to it and and kind of restored it to what it was in the in, in the origin and i guess there's the you know the, the the broken wheel if you will so it's big stuff for a little old comic it's kind of mind-bending and i feel a little bit like pike sometimes trying to wrap my mind around it all but but anyway, I wanted to put that frame of reference for folks so that when you're reading Stargazer's Hunt, you don't get distracted by those things. Because if you go back and you read Final Quest closely, that's all there. It's all said. So hopefully that's helpful for folks. Yeah, I mean, it's since it is their home planet and they're not encumbered by whatever was dampening all their powers on the world of two moons. I think like all those spirits, all that power, all those all that magic could just make this star home like everything that they ever wanted or you know as they've lived those 10,000 years on this other planet they can even make it better than it was before probably I would think yeah absolutely yeah yeah and you know the other thing too is that I think some folks are confused about what happened to the palace again if you go back and carefully read Final Quest the palace actually it was all of the power and the energy in the palace that fueled this sort of rebirth and this recreation of the star home and so it says that the palace the elves actually sent the palace into the core of the planet and it absorbed it's reabsorbed itself back into that planet that that's kind of what fueled the whole thing so the palace doesn't exist anymore but the planet is now alive again as a result um and you know we see we have palace city which is basically like an entire city built out of crystal the same way that the palace itself was like a you know a one building or one ship built out of that crystal which is kind of mind-blowing to think about the idea of elves living in a city 
in ElfQuest. I just keep going back to it. And I think it's fascinating. I really hope that fan artists and fanfics get written about that aspect and explored. And I hope it gets explored within Stargazer's Hunt too, but, um, or at least we get to see some of what that means in the background. But, um, but anyway, the palace doesn't exist anymore. Obviously the elves can shape these crystal buildings and they can still create pods to zip around faster than they can fly. Because again, that's what the whole, this whole issue is all about is Jink having lost her, um, her her palace or her, her crystal pod. But, you know, with the palace being reabsorbed and with the elves returning to the star home, that old universe rule in, in ElfQuest that spirits of the elves were somehow connected to, in a physical way, the palace, those rules are lifted. They don't really apply anymore. So that means that elf spirits can go anywhere they want, including Cutters. If you reread the final issue of Final Quest, after Cutters' body dies, Tumane perceives it on the Star Home, and she says something like, you're free now to be here on the Star Home, to be back in the world of Two Moons, or wherever you want to go. Um, and again, I mention that because I've seen lots of folks not really understanding maybe where Cutter's spirit was or where it could be and, and all of that kind of thing. So all really just setting the groundwork for where I think Stargazer's Hunt is going to go. And I think all of those are kind of important story points to have a clear understanding of if you're really going to get the rest of the story. So I wanted to review all of that. Uh, so Jinx says to to Skywise that she likes playing with Satrika and that she wishes there were more children on the star home. And Skywise says that recognition doesn't happen just any old time. And now people get to choose and yeah. that people are more focused on raising their homes. And I guess procreating isn't a high priority now that everyone is back on, on the star home. The whole concept of recognition was that it was a survival mechanism for these beings that had forgotten how to procreate and were so few and far between and who didn't have the ability to conceive very readily anymore. It was like their, well, Richard called it the reptile brain. If you go back to the original ElfQuest Gatherum, there's an incredible article in there that really unpacks it. And it's really like a base psychological instinct that connects two individuals that have the right genes to produce strong offspring. And of course, that concept is, a, a, you know, incredible fodder for drama and, and storytelling. And I think it's played out that way over the course of ElfQuest. You know, every recognition we've seen has been a little bit different, but most of them have some level of drama to them. Um, and in most cases, you know, end up, you know, sort of happily ever after. But at any rate, now that they're on the star home, they don't have danger. They don't have the imminent threat of death from humans or sounds like really predators or anything like that. And so the pressure for them to have to procreate so that they don't go extinct seems gone. But they have the choice. And I think the whole point of Timane's evolution over the course of all of the previous stories is that she she learned that the, the crash on the world of two moons was actually the best thing that could have ever happened because through that it taught her people their species the lesson of pain which they had forgotten and that led them to everything from being arrogant and keeping the trolls as pets i.e slaves um, mm -hmm. because they were so in their own cloud land and didn't really kind of have a conception of of what that would mean to to beings that kind of maybe are closer to their their earthly origin to you know fast forward to the gliders and their stagnation in blue mountain because they were so safe and so away from any potential danger that they forgot what the lesson of pain was and so that's why Tumane even made the rule that they weren't going to go out and just collect up all the elves they were going to make them work for it 
because that learning was valuable. And so it's an interesting question because now that they're on the star home, what's to prevent that from happening again? And I think one of the answers is that they now have that knowledge and that learning. And I don't think Tamane is going to let them forget it. She's always going to be a repository of that lesson. And we, as we saw in Final Quest, she can be pretty tough and just lay the law down. Like, nope, we're not doing that. But going back to the recognition thing, yeah, I think what we see in Stargazer's Hunt is is now an opportunity to kind of lift that that mandatoriness out of recognition, at least on the star home. Now, back on the world of Two Moons, I have to imagine that recognition is probably happening like it always did, because there the elves are in a lot more potential danger, and their population is low, and they're not operating at that high-level hum. And so I wouldn't be surprised if recognition was happening a lot more than it had, because this huge chunk of elfdom left the world of Two Moons altogether, and the population was probably reduced by more than half. So it'll be interesting to see if they if they do anything with that in the rest of this story. Right. Plus, the the Wolf Riders will always need to have recognition to, to keep up their numbers to replace as, as people grow old and pass on to keep the tribe. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and not even just the Wolf Riders. We know the most, well, pretty much all of the go-backs stayed. The majority of the wave dancers did. And we know that there's other elves out there on the world of two moons too, that we didn't even get to meet. They've just been sort of referenced um, or teased a little bit. The the rootless ones are still there as well. Although I don't think they are recognizing and procreating anymore, but who knows? All right. So let's talk about Skywise because he obviously is the key character here in Stargazer's Hunt. I mean, the whole series is named after him. And like we were talking about a little while ago, it seems to me the whole set up for this story for the series is how skywise is going to deal with the revelation about the connection between cutter and Tamane and the fact that they really ultimately are one being and i mean that's how the issue ends right so skywise finally accepts that he wants to essentially reconnect with cutter and we learn that he has been he hasn't called cutter spirit to him because of sadness and and fear and through his conversation with strongbow he finally he, he actually says it himself you know after that conversation he has with strongbow he said what strongbow sent he knows and i have to face it and then that leads into the final two pages or three pages where of the issue where he has that revelation and he says i'm afraid i'm so afraid and he meets up with Tamane and and he asks her to tell him he knows that there's something that he doesn't know and you can tell there's that amazing three-panel progression of Tamane kind of hearing Skywise ask to be told and her, the middle panel is her, like, she's kind of pausing and you could see her facial expression change and, you know, you could tell she's like, ugh, this is going to cause grief. But then the panel progression ends, she has this serene look about her and I think that's because she knows that Skywise is ready or at least willing to hear the truth. And so she shapes herself into Cutter and we get that gorgeous final page where we see the giant naked cutter, <laughs> which I think... With all the shadows, the uh, shadows are, are everything. Yes, in this... the dappled light of the leaves in the forest and everything, yeah. So, I mean, I think, you know, that's, that's what this is going to all be about, right? I mean, who knows what Skyways is going to do next, but I found it really helpful to kind of see it through the lens that Strongbow presented it as. So, you know, Strongbow himself is still grieving the loss of Moonshade. So these two are kind of like kindred, wounded spirits in grief. And I thought those scenes between the two of them were really touching. But, you know, Strongbow says it. He's like, you haven't communed with Cutter's spirit because you're afraid. And he's like, you 
you're so young. You haven't ever really had a like experienced a broken heart that then heals the larger for the breaking. And that's right out of Lita's lullaby back in Final Quest, if you remember, which I mm-hmm. thought was a nice yep. little callback. But and that's that it really just made me think about the fact, as you were just saying, like Skywise is young, you know, he's a few decades old. And in the grand scheme of things, that makes him a baby. And so we tend to think of Skywise as clever and he is, but it also made me realize that he's also really naive and inexperienced and maybe not as wise about life as he is about the stars, right? And so um, his journey kind of understanding on how to deal with the loss of Cutter and that grief is fascinating to watch. It's very complex. Again, this is like comic book and you don't think of comic books as dealing with these kinds of deep issues, but here we are again. And it's pretty par for the course of ElfQuest storytelling, I think. Oh, absolutely. I mean, it on the face value, it always, it looks very, I don't know, people have said childlike, but all of the content is very complicated and rich and mature. The themes are very grounded. And I mean, it explores all kinds of issues about your emotions and your life and how you evolve and and things like that. I think that's what draws so many people in is is the story. Yeah. And it just has this really pretty packaging for all this like some of the stuff is very dark and 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 complicated and messy, but it just has this really beautiful package that just lets you like take it all in. Yeah, it's well, w- Wendy has written about this and talked about it, you know, how Tezuka is one of her 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 mentors, her artistic mentors, um, the the famous Japanese artist, and so and this aesthetic of really cute, childlike, beautiful imagery, but coupled with really kind of deep and hard hitting and oftentimes very adult storytelling is part of a, it's a conscious choice, it's a conscious artistic decision, storytelling decision to kind of take that aesthetic with it. And again, I think it's one of the things that makes ElfQuest really unique in, at least in, in American comics. And, and it makes it one of the most beautiful too. I mean, I love that. I love the beautiful art. I mean, let's be honest, it's beautiful. And some of these deeper themes kind of being juxtaposed and the idea that what you see that could look like cutesy and very kitty art style, at least again, by American standards, actually is containing all of this richness and this depth and maturity. Uh, I love that. It's kind of, it, there's more more to it uh, than, than what you would expect at surface level. Yes. I mean, I've always liked the sort of Japanese style and like Japanime. And I mean, it just looks so pretty, but then all of this crazy stuff is happening like while you're watching <laughs> it. And it is just, it does trick your mind in, in a way that you're, I know it's just sort of like candy, like you just it's like candy for your eyes and then it's nourishing your brain if it if it's like something like that. Yeah. And your soul, too, I would say your spirit and your soul. Absolutely. So, yeah. So, I mean, we get this set up. Skywise acknowledges his grief. He and Strongbow are talking and and it's really apparent that he's not ready. He's he's afraid. I mean, he even says it. He's afraid to kind of commune with Cutter and. This idea that that fear is what's holding him back is is really interesting, and one I'm I'm going to be curious to see how that plays out, and I'm trying to wrap my mind around that as well. You know, what is it about fear that would keep a spirit for, away if anger and other emotions wouldn't necessarily keep them away in the way that Strongbow describes it? So we'll we'll, we'll see how that goes. 
I was re-listening to the teaser podcast episode with Richard and Wendy, and uh, Richard said something about how this is Stargazer's hunt. It's a hunt, and who is the best hunter? Strongbow, and how Strongbow is going to have this mentor, kindred spirit role in this story. And I just started thinking about how much he's lost, like this poor guy. And how he's he's lost a child, he's lost his life mate. And I think at different times, he's lost parts of himself. Like, you know, when he killed Kareel in yeah. Siege of Blue Mountain. I mean, he's probably, for one that is so traditional, he's the one that's broken these, these rules the most. Yeah. even more than than Cutter had and he's still going like he's so enduring and then he he's the one that picked up the gun and shot the human at the end of of Final Quest when he saw that Cutter was wounded like he's you know he can lose himself in these like fits of passion and then somehow figure out a way to to keep on going and i just i'm just so glad that he's here for for us and for skywise because he's got so much experience to impart and skywise is so naive and so young and it's just it's a great balance the like he's such a great foil for skywise here I mean, what two less likely characters in the whole world of ElfQuest to mash together into a new series than that Skywise and Strongbow? And I always go back to that panel in the original quest when they're in Blue Mountain and they're having the conversation about whether to stay on as Lord Vol's guests or to 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 leave. And of course Strongbow is advocating leaving and he does this you know, the speech that calls up such a sense of nostalgia about the the way and the Wolf Rider's old way of life. And, you know, he and Skywise get into it. And Skywise is like, you know, there's more to the world than hunting and howling and go on and tell me I'm not a Wolf Rider. And I always think about that because, you know, the Wolf Riders are family, but even within real world families, you have individuals that are just on a different, in a different place, right? And they don't see to eye to eye. And it just seems like Skywise and Strongbar are those people within their family. And here we have them coming together and everything you just said about Strongbow, about his wisdom and the the roller coaster that he's been through and the fact that he is wounded and he's not fully healed by any stretch being a now a kind of a kindred spirit and a mentor to Skywise who otherwise is so different from him I just find so fascinating and like wow what a plot twist that you never would have seen coming you know that of all the wolf riders other than Skywise that Strongbow would be the one to give up the world of two moons and and go live in paradise and not live, you know, according to the way and all of that. It's it's pretty incredible. And you also touched on the fact that Strongbow is old. He is an elder. You know, he's probably somewhere between 500 and 1,000 years old, right, at this stage of the game. And again, Skywise is only a few decades old. You know, what what could he be, 50 or 60 or something in that ballpark? So, yeah, it's pretty it's pretty neat. I really want to see where Strongbow's storyline in this goes. Now, obviously, I don't think Stargazer's Hunt is going to be about Strongbow, but I do hope that he has some opportunity in this story to get a measure of healing and peace, because I think he deserves it. Yeah, he does. I also like that Venka and Satrika <laughs> are kind of being him, because he was around when Venka was, was little, when she was growing up, through the Kings of the Broken Wheel story. And I kind of like that, like that he's kind of this grandfather, he's kind of taking the place that Rayak would have filled there, and yeah. you know that he's kind of open to it. 
it. And he is so hurt, but he's still able to accept these new relationships, this new love. I mean, even though he does sort of look like a hermit, like he was a little ragged, but, you know, he's he hasn't closed himself off completely. He's still there as part of the group, part of the tribe, even though he's a little bit away, a little bit isolated, but still part of the home world there. Well, it's interesting. Um, I didn't I didn't pick up on sort of like the grandfather vibe, but you're absolutely right. You know, Venka is a child of the Wolf Riders, um, at least culturally. And, and Strongbow would have been uh, an elder in the tribe that, that raised Venka that she grew up in. And so the idea that, you know, she's hanging with him and... Yeah, I, I just love that. Like, again, we don't we don't really get to see Venka and Strongbow interact that much throughout the story directly, but you just get such a sense of family from these scenes with Strongbow and Venka and um, Skywise and, you know, Baby Jink and Satrika. It's it's it makes me feel full. It gives me that 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 warm, fuzzy feeling that I only get from ElfQuest. It's it's family, it's closeness, it's love, it's all of those things. And I totally get all of that out of out of these scenes with all of that. And you know, I'll tell you what too, like for as damaged and as as hurting as Strongbow is, I get a very peaceful vibe from him. I get a vibe from him that is so different from the Strongbow in the World of Two Moons. And I think that even though he still is processing, letting go of the way, ironically, might have been the best thing for him in terms of him moving forward and ultimately regaining some measure of happiness. He seems content on the star home in a way. I don't know. Are you getting any of that? Oh, yeah. I think that now that he is on the star home, he's away from humans. And you gotta, like, humans have kind of, you know, affected him quite a bit. And he can, I think he can kind of breathe freely here on the star home. I think he's, I think he's, yeah, he's coming to terms with his loss. I mean, in that one image that we talked about before, where Moonshade's spirit is kind of above him, I didn't think that was just for like an artistic sense. I really felt like she was there, like she is there with him, like her spirit. And they're showing us that in a more literal sense. And yeah, I mean, he's he seems okay. I think that, you know, you're going to go through some stages of grief and you just miss that physical presence of that other person so much. And it's it's just a hard thing to get past that, you know, you just want that feeling. You want to be able to touch. You want to feel that touch of that other person near you. Yeah, I mean, and even in the real world and in human lifespans, it takes a long time to get through that grieving process. And, you know, you never fully heal, even if you are able to move on. And so imagine if you just spent, again, five, six, seven hundred years with that person and and what that would mean. So I'm going to give Strongbow as much time as he needs to really grieve and get over it. And and but the fact that Moonshade's spirit is often with him, I find really reassuring. And I actually have a theory about Moonshade's spirit that could totally be wrong, but until somebody tells me, i.e. Wendy and Richard or I see something in the story to contradict it, it's going to be, you know, what I what my I'm going to stick with it. And that's this. So, again, we see Strongbow, he's on the Star Home. He has chosen not to live the life of a high one. He's not living in Palace City. He's living like a wolf rider would out in the in the woodlands outside of the city. And he even has a wolf friend. Now, when he left the world of two moons, he didn't take his wolf friend with him. That wolf friend's name was Bear Bader, if you remember, in the scene where Moonshade was, was shot. And yeah, I, I very much got the sense he was, after Cutter died, he was just down to nothing and he just walked off with Skywise and Bear Bader remained on the world of two moons. So fast forward however many years and and Wendy has noted that years on the Star Home might not 
correspond exactly to years on the world of two moons. So however long this is after the events of the final quest, he's on the star home and he's got this wolf friend named Foxier. And here's my theory. I think, I think that Foxier is maybe not quite the same as a wolf on the world of two moons. It's a wolf-like creature that is on the star home. Now it's possible that the star home always had creatures like that. Um, and that in the process of the elves rebirthing the planet that we talked about earlier, that these, it, they brought back the species that used to be there. But I like to think that the existence of a wolf-like creature that's so similar to the wolves on the world of two moons was the influence of Moonshade Spirit. If you think back to, I think issue 22, 21 of Final Quest, the issue when the the palace actually leaves, you know, you see the wolf riders kind of watching the palace leave and Tyr makes a comment about they didn't take any animals with them. That's so sad. And and Ember says, you know, maybe Moonshade Spirit will have something to do to fix that. And so I am choosing to believe that this particular wolf-like creature on the Star Home is the result of the spirit of Moonshade, you know, her small piece of influence in the re- restoration and rebirth of the Star Home resulted in the formation of this, this kind of wolf-like creature on the Star Home. So I, I think it is a great theory. I think it it makes sense that Moonshade would provide this companion for him because he needs that. And I don't know the quest. There is a question: Does he have wolf blood anymore or not? And yeah, I. That's would something. Would Starhome Wolf recognize that he has wolf blood, or is it you know some other connection? I would assume that he still is a full-blooded wolf rider, and so. But I have seen others in the discussions going on online about this ask that question, and and now that it's been asked. I think it's a valid question, right? I mean, the star home, I mean, that was one of the reasons why he was uncomfortable in the first place, even being in the palace, because the palace's hum and the pull of the palace kind of trying to restore the elves to their, their high one version, right? I mean, we saw that Cutter had that conversation with Lita and, and Skywise. And we saw what happened to the elves living in the palace. You know, they got taller slowly while they were there and, and until they could learn how to shape themselves. So it's it's an interesting question, and and you know what is going to happen to Strongbow now that he is living on the Star Home, which presumably has the same hum and vibe as the palace did. Mm-hmm. So I guess we're just going to have to wait and see. But uh, but the fact that he has chosen to live in the woods and live a wolf rider's lifestyle, even though he doesn't have to on the Star Home, I think is fascinating. And it just raises all sorts of questions about: Is he eventually going to lose his wolf blood? Is the influence of the star home going to restore him if you will back to high one version is he actively working against that what does it mean for him as a character who is the you know has been historically so has clung so tightly to the old wolf rider way again what does it mean for him there not living with a tribe even though he's living kind of a wolf rider lifestyle so who knows you know right it's it's this is why we have a whole series right (laughs) to explore Yes, there's lots of lots of open questions um we haven't really talked about jink yet yes what do you think of Jane? What a cutie. She's so cute. And I mean, she reminds me of those precocious three-year-olds. Um, I'm sure everyone knows one that, you know, they're very free with what they say and what they do and they're a little bit spoiled. Yes. <laughs> and just ready to feel like very open and, and happy. So it's fun to see her like this. I love the way she's just kind of just floating around. She's doing loop-de-loops. She's balancing on the tip of this crystalline spire. There's just a lot of life. It's just very like vibrant and fun. Yeah, you know, the biggest thing, well, 
in addition to her sassiness, right? I mean, she's definitely a rambunctious kid and she's got a lot of personality and sass and all of that stuff that I get from Jink, at least at this stage of the game, is is the innocence. I think in the, the writing, Wendy and Richard did just an amazing job at just capturing the innocence of a child. You very much get the vibe that Jink has not a care in the world. She's utterly protected and feels safe and comfortable. And yes, maybe a little bit spoiled, right? But it almost, you know, it, it reminds me of what it was like to be a young child and have that sense of innocence and completely carefree and that feeling of safety and security that my parents kind of gave to me by taking such good care of me. And I and I see that all coming through in, in Jink and, and, and especially in her interactions with her dad, Skywise, right? And seeing Skywise as a father is just, is awesome. It, I guess it shouldn't surprise me that that Skywise would be an awesome dad because he's so fun and freewheeling himself, but you really get to see it here. Like, you know, he's obviously adoring of Jink and probably, again, letting her get away with more than he should, but how could you say no? Because... She's just so cute and, and um, again, innocent and, and, and fun-loving. I'm just loving all of it. I'm loving seeing Skyways get to, again, be a dad and, and see how he's interacting with Jink and seeing Jink as a little baby, right? A three-year-old, a toddler. So Yeah, it's it's very fun. It's it's neat. I also love the fact that when Skyway shrunk down to Wolf Rider size, you know, Jink is a three-year-old high one, right? So... So she's almost as big as as a three-year-old as Skywise is as a Wolf Rider size. So I thought that was kind of neat, you know, just playing with the different size differentials there. Um, but yeah, no, I think Jink is super cute. And, you know, like her zipping through the, the troll tunnels, she clearly has no fear whatsoever. That scene with her and Old Maggoty where she scares Old Maggoty and Old Maggoty freaks out and is like, why would you scare an innocent old grandma like me? And you know, and then she shrieks at, at, at Jink in her most terrifying countenance. And little Jink is just there, not even faced one bit, just with a big grin on her face. And I totally love that, too. Already at age three, she knows that Maggoty um, has, a, has a, a bark that might not be as bad as her bite. <laughs> yes, she reminds me a lot of one of my kids. Ah. Well, and, you know, I again, I've seen um, other folks in the online commentary talk about the fact that, you know, childhood is universal, whether you're... You know, on Earth, on the world of two moons, on the star home, there are, are aspects of childhood and personalities in certain children that, you know, just exist everywhere. It'll be interesting to see how much of a role she plays in this story. I mean, we know it's going to be about Skywise, but is she going to be a key player here? Or is she just going to be a presence in this first issue to kind of kick the story off and, and maybe might not have as you know a big role moving forward? I don't know. Do you have any predictions on that? Well, I think that she might play more of a role because just from what Wendy and Richard said about like the first original question was Cutter and Skywise and this is like Jink is now the compa- the hero's companion to Skywise so I I don't know I mean is it this kind of father-daughter quest gonna happen I right. mean is it, is it gonna be like I mean well Wendy said it was gonna be very emotional I'm just 
I'm on pins and needles about it. Like, I just don't, I don't know how it's all going to play out. But I did, since I did read the the future quest and the jink and the rebels, I know like some stuff is going to happen. But I, I'm just really curious to see how it all plays out since they're so, they're having this like wonderful idyllic moment right now. But I mean, at the end of this issue, something is rocking yeah. skywise. Like this is like a major hit. So like, what do you do? I mean, right. if she she flies up like right after this like what is the first page of issue two gonna be like yeah, totally what, right i mean how do you even explain that like that is just i mean that's mind-blowing right there my and does jink know what does jink sense since she's so um astute they said that like uh strongbow said she's so good at sending i'm guessing that's just like just such a good awareness of and there's this mental power mm-hmm you know, she discerns so much, even though she's so young. Like, what does she know? Is she going to help him cope or? In a, oh, it's just so much. That's so much good stuff. Yeah, no, I mean, exactly, right? It's like, what is Jinx react? What, what's Skyway's reaction first? But then how is Jink going to react to that? And all those things you just said, we know she's a powerful sender and, and a telepath and has these, you know, lots of magical abilities. I mean, she's born in the palace or on the star home, conceived in the palace. And she is everything that the elves have been wanting wanting to be to their full, you know, their full power, their the fruition of, of, of restoring themselves. So yeah. And we know, again, if you've read the Jinx storyline, without spoiling it, something happens. And it's pretty devastating to think about once you know what that is. And my question is, is that going to happen within Stargazer's Hunt? Or is that something that is going to, they're going to leave for a future story to actually see it happen? So I guess we'll have to just keep reading and see. Yeah, I thought Jink was great. I thought Satrika was great. I mean, the whole scene where with (laughs) tripping Satrika, who falls into the mud, and then the two kids are laughing, and Venka is in her her mama bear mode. And it's just like, how on earth does a child that floats around manage to trip? And, you know, Satrika's like, it was Jink. Jink happened. I love that. I laughed out loud. And it also, for me, highlighted that Satrika's half a go back. She was having just as much fun getting tripped into the mud and goofing off as Jink was. Oh yeah. I mean, she was taunting her with the arrow at first. Like you're not, you're not fast enough to catch me. I mean, right. <laughs> that is classic, you know, slightly older playmate stuff that you see. It's just, it was so neat to just see them like interacting. Yeah. Um, a lot of people said it was, it reminded them of Venka and Tylit when they were young in oh, yeah. Kings. And yeah, so that was a nice little nod to the past there that, you know, that there are these friendships. I mean, everyone needs like a playmate or a buddy. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's actually what prompted the conversation about recognition that we were talking about a little while ago, because Jink was saying, I wish there were more kids here. And Skywiz was saying, you know, here on the Star Home, we can recognize and conceive whenever we want. And right now, no one's really interested in that as they're learning to raise their home and you know, learn the full extent of their powers, etc. So, but um, but you better bet that Jink is going to be best buddies with that little troll kid who was nursing in that one scene. <laughs> you know, I mean, at least I hope so. But I think Jink will get along thick as thieves with the trolls and Satrika too, for that matter, with her her kind of go back sense of humor. So um, it'll be again interesting to see how much of that we'll get to see play out within the story or not. But if nothing else, that is perfect fodder for for fan art and fanfic. And so, again, I hope that fans out there are going to start doing that. I've already seen some fan art of of Satrika and Jink, so let's see more of it. 
I was just going to say that covers everything, but there's one other really important thing that happens here that I want to make sure we unpack. And so we see Strongbow hunting, you know, a bird flies by and he shoots it and he and, and Skywise and Foxier share a meal. But we see Venka following up on the promise that she made when Satrika was born back in Final Quest to never let her see any kind of, you know, killing or bloodshed. And this is just such a fascinating thing because it's 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 completely the opposite of the wolf rider's way, you know. And you, if you think about the fact that like Venko was raised a wolf rider, fascinating that she she has utterly chosen to go in this sort of high one direction. Um, but it, it raises all these questions. So so wait, so what are they eating, right? If they're not hunting, are they vegetarians? Are they growing food? And I think the answer to that is the High Ones, we know from Tamain's original uh, explanation of the High Ones back in the original quest, and also something that Moonshade said in Final Quest, and actually Rayek as well mentioned this, is that the original High Ones could create food out of raw matter. So they didn't have to go out and kill anything, animals or plants. They basically could create their own foodstuffs. Now, what that looks like, I don't know. But if you if you are living in a in a magical land that the star home is, and it's not operating necessarily by the same rules that Earth would, or even the world of two moons, and if you can create your own food, then the choice to completely avoid anything to do with any kind of killing or violence is an option for you. I mean, that's not an option for us here on this planet. And it wasn't an option, really, on the world of two moons. But if that is an option available to you, I think it's a viable choice. And again, if you go back to Final Quest, Strongbow has a conversation, or Moonshade has a conversation with Strongbow, where she says, you know, when we, you know, when we go back to the Star Home, we're never going to have to be able to kill again. And Rayek makes a comment about the fact that the High Ones were able to make their own food, just like Timane said. So I think that's what's really going on here. Now, again, it's so different than the way that it actually kind of troubled me a little bit. And I, I've seen other people comment on this as well. Like, it just seems so unnatural. But again, if you have the option to make your own food and not have to kill things, I think that's that's valid, even if it is the complete opposite of the Wolf Rider's way. I thought that, I mean, I understand why... Venka, at least, would choose this way of life to to not have any bloodshed because she was shot. So I think it's just like a very visceral reaction to so much violence. I'm sure she's seen a lot of other violence and she was leading the go-backs. I'm not sure what they were doing while she was leading the go-backs in this frozen area after um, the end of Shards before Final Quest started. I don't know if they're who they were fighting with. I don't know. But so I, I totally understand it for from Venka's point of view and as for the other new high ones, it sort of makes sense. It feels like they were ready to leave that existence on the world of two moons. They didn't, they just weren't interested in, you know, that kind of grinding out survivalist, like I got to, I have to do all this just to survive, just to exist. And they want to be on this kind of higher level, this, you know, raising their hums to this other way of life. And they're just ready to kind of move on from it. It's not grounded in that more primitive world. It's this, you know, the sense of otherness that they have because they are so alien. And it was such a shock at first that some of those high ones, when they crashed, they just couldn't even, they wouldn't eat, you know, they just kind of wasted away. I think it's right. sort of referenced in some of those like blood of 10 chiefs 
novels yep. that they just couldn't make that ad- adaptation to this harsher, more primitive world and way of existing, which kind of goes back to what we were talking about. Like you just kind of have to re- have that, that memory of pain and, and doing what you have to do to survive, to exist, to move on. And yeah, you know, yeah. it's all kind of come full circle. So, right. Yeah. So I, mean, I was, I was cool with it. Yeah. I mean that, that's kind of my evolution with it as well, because, you know, I think most ElfQuest fans, we relate to the Wolf Riders first and foremost, and we really kind of have embraced this sort of way the hunt, the howl, the live free and, you know, killing to eat as long as it's done respectfully and sustainably. I mean, that's how I try to live here on this, this planet. Right. And so mm-hmm. that I think is where some of us are having a little bit of trouble with Venka's choice. Cause it's like, it just seems so unnatural, but yeah, like you were, were just saying, I feel like if you try to put yourself in the context of what the star home is, and as we've talked about, like, you know, it's sort of a paradise and the rules don't apply the same way that they would on this world. And if you have the option not to kill to eat, why wouldn't you? Right. And so, uh, but again, it just makes Strongbow's choice to continue that lifestyle all the more interesting. In fact, I think that's the more interesting question, not you know, like, why did Venka choose this and how can she choose that? Uh, but why didn't and, ha- and hasn't Strongbow chosen that way? So, because if, if, if he wanted to live like a wolf rider, why didn't he just stay in the world of two moons? You know, but instead he yeah. went to paradise, but has still not really fully embraced it. I don't know. I don't know what that means. So I don't think we're going to get an answer in this conversation, but I'm curious to see that, how that all plays out too for the rest of the series. I think he just had to get off of the world of two moons. Like he just said that there's, there's nothing left for him there. Like he's just... He's lost so much there, so I could totally understand him just needing to get a, just away, even though you do certain actions that are just ritualistic for you, like the hunting, just living in the forest. I mean, it's a different forest, so it's it's enough of a separation for him to heal, I think. Yeah, that's kind of my vibe, too. So maybe maybe I'll take back what I just said, that we weren't going to find our answer on this podcast about that, because I think that's a, that's a pretty good assessment of it. Um, you know, he needed the distance, but he also needs the familiar. And so he's got a little bit of a balance and a hybrid of it on the star home. So, and who knows, maybe after Stargazer's Hunt, we will get the quest of the archer as the follow-up elf quest tale. Who knows? I would love that. Uh, I want to thank you, Tanya, for, for joining me. It really, it was, it was fun. And I love all of your insights and different perspectives. I mean, you said some things that I hadn't even thought of, and that is something that I really enjoyed about doing the podcast with Ryan. So um, I, I appreciate you you being here and, and kind of bringing that same spirit to it. So I just want to say thank you for asking me to join you on this. It's my obsession is, as well. So I just love talking about it. I like I love talking about it with you because feel like our we just have similar interpretations of things and our approach to ElfQuest seems similar sometimes, but I definitely love your insights and I was just happy to do it. So thanks. Thanks again. Awesome. Well, I'm going to hold you to um, once I this is, is published and it's out there and we share it on social media, you have to help me respond to all the comments and questions that people are going to ask. I will be there. All right. Well, on that note, I'm going to sign us off and just want to remind folks that The next issue of Stargazer's Hunt is going to be out on January 8th. So mark your calendars and listen to the beginning of this podcast for all of the different ways that you can go out and get that issue. And until next time, shade and sweet water. 
Well, that's it for another episode of the ElfQuest Show podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please rate it and leave a review on iTunes or whatever platform you use to listen. It really helps get more exposure for ElfQuest. Join the discussion about this episode and all things ElfQuest on Facebook in the ElfQuest fan group. You can also follow ElfQuest the official page there, and on Twitter, follow at ElfQuest, and Instagram, follow at ElfQuestComics. Head to ElfQuest.com for links to all of these social media groups and to read free online comics. Get official ElfQuest merchandise, read hundreds of character bios, make your own cool ElfQuest avatar, and tons of other amazing ElfQuest stuff. ElfQuest is published by Dark Horse Comics in both print and digital editions. Visit your local comic shop or bookstore and ask for ElfQuest. Or head to digital.darkhorse.com or comicsology.com for instant downloads. Until next time, shade and sweet water.